Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you all for listening. Um, before we get into the, today's topic, which is Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge, I've got a couple of uh, announcements, or rather one announcement, and then something else a little bit more uh, unique. So just wanted to remind everybody that my Kickstarter is still going for the uh, book that I'm publishing, Worth Watching, um, in which I put together... I, I actually uh, tallied it up, and it's about 55 reviews, and then several short essays, and then three long essays, uh, and it will come to about 250 pages, and uh, the Kickstarter is already funded, but anything that you want to contribute will help to order more copies of the book, so I do appreciate everybody's continued support. You can find out more information about that at morethanonelesson.com. Now, here's something... Uh, that is probably going to be the case for the foreseeable future. So we have a sponsor uh, of sorts. Uh, I like to think of it as more of a partnership, to be honest with you. Uh, and so it is called... Now, here's the thing. I was talking with the guy, uh, uh, Jeff, who runs this. Uh, and so I want to make sure that I get the name right. Uh, it is Di uh, Digicycle Me. <laughs> Now, uh, that may sound like a weird name, and indeed it is. Uh, I agree. Um, so here's what it, here's what the service is. I actually uh, I can speak very personally to it being a good service. Uh, Digicycle Me, or rather Digicycle.me, is committed to helping churches develop and implement strategies to increase discipleship and experience community growth. They help you determine your target audience and then equip you with the tools and content needed to reach that audience. If you'd like to help your church, your ministry, or your website, just go to DigiCipleMe, that's D-I-G-I-S-C-I-P-L-E dot M-E, or what is probably more likely, uh, you can just click on the graphic at MTUL uh, at, uh, sorry, morethanonelesson.com. Uh, you'll scroll down, you'll see a big D uh, as of right now. I think they're going to, I think they're going to put... Um, Another graphic there, but there's a D for Digicycle Me. Um, and yeah, like I said, uh, they they help, they work with you to connect with your audience, specifically if it's an, an online audience. And they have been working with me for both More Than One Lesson and Battleship Pretension, so I can actually, and I've definitely seen uh, an uptick. Uh, in in listeners and readers and and engagement on social media, so I can personally attest to the fact that they do their job well. So uh, if you have a church or a ministry or again really any website, uh, check that out and uh, and give give yourself a nice boost. So all right, uh, that covers all of that. So we are going to be talking about Hacksaw Ridge, directed by Mel Gibson, and I'm going to welcome in my co-host, Reed Lackey. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Oh, good. Yes. That's a, that is a load off. I, every time I look at you, I think, how's he doing? I don't... I know. I don't... I know. You just kind of set off alarm bells, I got to say. It's true. It's true. It's the uh, it's the scrawniness. It's the general pale complexion. Yeah. All of those things combined with... Uh, he's not going to make it long. And you just keep... You just have this hacking cough all the time. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's pretty insidious, as a matter of fact. So, uh, okay. Now... The last two weeks, I kind of stumbled my way into this series. I didn't plan it. It just kind of worked out that way. So we talked about Rogue One and then Kong Skull Island and now Hacksaw Ridge. This this has turned into a little uh, war theme, uh, war themed series. That was again, that was not the intention, just kind of the way it worked out. But I'm actually very excited about it. Um, what I will say is that excuse me. Uh, 
the themes that we'll be discussing in regards to Hacksaw Ridge don't really fit into the, for me, don't really fit in to the specifics of war. They can apply to war, certainly, mm. uh, as they do very much in the film itself uh, and the true story that it's based on. But, uh, you know, with Rogue One, we talk about the idea of being willing to make sacrifices for one another and then, to, and then you know, collectively making a sacrifice for a, a greater good. Um, with Kong Skull Island, we talk about some of the complexities of war, some of the evils of war, and the idea that when you have people that are willing to sacrifice themselves, either individually or collectively, that maybe uh, we as a country, as a society, society as a world, uh, maybe we should be a little bit uh, more cautious about war. Mm. Um, this time around, we're not really talking about anything specifically war related but we are talking about the most overt of these three movies as a war film so hacksaw ridge directed by mel gibson the film was nominated for a bunch of awards that mm -hmm. none of us expected yeah. because we really did not when i say we i i speak for most of the online film community we were very sure that the Oscars were done with Mel Gibson, that Hollywood was done yeah. with Mel Gibson. He'll, he'll make movies from time to time and actors will work with him, but that uh, he's still something of a pariah. So boy, were we surprised when the film was nominated for best picture. Gibson was nominated for director. Andrew Garfield was nominated for actor. He wasn't really even in the discussion, right, um, right. maybe for silence, but then that movie kind of tanked. Uh, and then it was it was Still also nominated me. for sound editing, best editing, and uh, sound mixing. It won best editing, which surprised a lot of people, and best sound mixing. So the film was really embraced by the Oscars. It was definitely embraced uh, financially. I think it did fairly well. And I will say, as tends to happen uh, with films directed by Mel Gibson, ever since The Passion, it was embraced by the Christian community. Yeah, it was. And yeah. not merely for that reason, but also because of the story that it is telling. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, the main character is very overt in his in his faith. He's a Seventh-day Adventist, I believe. Yes. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it, it definitely brought up a number of discussions. It made me think about some things that uh, are not part of the theme that we'll be discussing, but it's definitely a thing I I cannot get out of my head in regards to Hacksaw Ridge. So, uh, but it was definitely a film that my friends and I were excited to see, um, just because I think Mel Gibson can put a, can put a movie together really well. My least favorite film of his is The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> I think Apocalypto is great. Apocalypto is wonderful. I love it so oh, much. Oh, that's a brilliant film. Uh, and then Braveheart is a film that when I think back on it i think it's you know really clunky and really obvious and i don't really care for it when i watch it i remember man he can put a movie together yeah. in like an old-timey way like he's yeah. i'm not gonna say he's like david lean but he definitely has a command of scope yeah that, he really uh, does that i feel like very few other directors do and i think that's one thing that even amidst all of his troubles uh maybe in the height of his troubles people would neglect any sort of conversation like this but i think even coming out of those troubles he um was always acknowledged by like but good lord the talent like yeah. he's he not only as a director um but as an actor uh you know just a, a performer he's he's really just a I'm reluctant to call him because I don't totally love this term, but it's the closest I can get uh, the the whole force of nature idea. Sure. Um, I don't love that term, but 
he's that's the closest I can get right now to describing kind of what he is. He just sort of exudes this. Yeah, he he must have just been born to do this because he's got yeah. such naturalistic instincts that almost always, like you said, um, I haven't seen a single film of his that I didn't at least really like, mm-hmm. um, including Passion of the Christ. Because um, there's some things, even though uh, about that film that I may tweak or change, I think it's gorgeous to look at. It's very focused. Yes. Um, and there's a lot. There's a lot to it that I think is really noteworthy, and and I would even say to some degrees admirable, which is kind of the same. To be honest with you, though, I think Hacksaw Ridge is a very good film. Think if I were to on the fly rank them, Hacksaw Ridge might take the bottom bottom spot for him as a filmmaker. Sure, uh, yeah, I think for me the bottom spot would either be this or Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy Man Without a Face. I, I like that movie. Braveheart a lot. is pretty good, and, but and Apocalypto is to me is like number one by a wide wide margin. That's my favorite of films. Yeah. Um, and I will say. You know, the term visionary is thrown around often ironically, uh, in re- unless, of course, the studio is trying to convince me that Zack Snyder is amazing, um, oh. he, which he is not. Um, but if you want to define it by a visionary, somebody who clearly has a vision of the movie they want to make and then they make it. Mm-hmm. I think an argument could be made that Mel Gibson is a visionary. Like, I agree. Whether it be Passion of the Christ or Hacksaw Ridge or Apocalypto, he has a very clear vision of what he's going to do, yeah. and then he does it. Mm-hmm. He's going to make a, a mainstream film in a, in a in another language with n- no real notable actors. That's what he's going to do. That's what he's going to do, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so I there's there's a lot to admire about him as an artist. Now, of course. I'm not super interested in talking about him as a person. I have already done that before on the sure, podcast. It was a sure. few years ago. Um, yeah, by all accounts, he is, uh, you know, when you say force of nature, that it would appear that also means personally. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he's done some terrible things. He has said some terrible things. He might still be that, mm-hmm. you know, based on what I've read about certain in- interviews. Uh, he seemed happy to sort of be back in the mainstream at least a little bit, but also seems to have a bit of a chip on his shoulder about that Mm. as opposed to, yeah, you do know that that you said some bad things like, right. And you have to understand why Hollywood would distance itself from you a little bit. Of course, even if you might see it, think it's hypocritical for Hollywood to do that because Hollywood and the people in it also do terrible things. That's fine. But if you do it publicly, Mm -hmm. And you're, you know, yelling at you're on, you know, there's a recording of you yelling at your wife. Like that's rough stuff. And so for him to maybe not fully acknowledge just how rough that can be and Mm -hmm. act as though, uh, there, that he was somehow persecuted, my word, not his, um, then yeah, that's not super great, but we're going to put that aside and we're just going to talk about him as a filmmaker. You know, if we were going to talk about a Woody Allen film, I I was, I wouldn't bring up his his troubles. His troubles every yeah. time. Same with Roman Polanski or anybody like that. Not only did we do, did I do a, a little mini-sode about Mel Gibson, we also did a, Josh and I did a full episode about separating the art from the artist. Mm-hmm. So go and Very listen to those. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Hacksaw Ridge is a film that I went to see alone. I happened to be in Missouri. Um, hmm. And... Uh, it was late at night and my mom was going to bed and I didn't really have any uh, friends that could hang out that evening. So I just went to see this and I was going to see it eventually, but, uh, I just thought, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and for the most part, I, I liked it. There's definitely a lot to admire from a purely visceral 
standpoint Mm -hmm. um, and from an acting standpoint. And there are a couple little touches here and there where he actually sets up uh, really cliche and, and uh, sappy scenes. Yeah. And then we'll actually incorporate something to sort of undercut them. So they don't seem quite so sappy. Hmm. Uh, And that's a thing I appreciate. Um, But it is worth noting that not unlike Braveheart, uh, Hacksaw Ridge, as much as uh, the Academy embraced it, not for uh, not writing, not for a screenplay award. Uh, right, right. Um, now that I think about it, Braveheart might have been nominated for screenplay, but I don't think it was. I can't recall. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it is. It is not the best screenplay. There, are th- and then there are thing major structural issues, maybe major character issues that I have a problem with. But by and large, I think I view the film uh, pretty favorably. Mm-hmm. Um, your thoughts, Reed. Yeah. Expectations and uh, just general reactions. My expectations were high, I think, to the film's detriment because okay. um, I was going into it. My, my wife and I, when we when we saw this one, I think I, I didn't discuss this with her, so I might be getting this wrong, but the impression that I got was that her expectations were rather low hmm. and the film exceeded them. So she actually really, for a while there, it was her favorite of the best picture nominees, yeah. uh, and she she just really responded to it very positively. A very inspiring story for me. I have always been a Mel Gibson fan, as we talked about. Even in the height of his personal drama, uh, I was still I don't know that I would call myself an apologist or a defender of him, but right. I I was still to a degree invested in what he was doing. So if he was in a film, I would see it and everything. So for me, when I saw Hacksaw Ridge, my expectations were very high. And I feel like even though I acknowledge that I think it's a very good movie and recommend it to people, I recommend it to mm-hmm. my sister. She said it was one of the best movies that she had ever seen. Yeah. Um, I, I would definitely recommend it to particular audience members. Um, but for me, it sort of didn't quite tick the expectation button that I wanted. I feel like it's, I feel like it's two films. I feel uh, yeah. like the split in the middle before they actually go into Japan and go to war, um, that the second half of the film feels so dramatically different from the first. And I think that's part of the, the not I'm reluctant to call it an issue, but I think that hinders my enjoyment of it a little bit is because it definitely is kind of a film in two segments. And I respond very differently in positive and negative ways to the first half of the film and the last half of the film, which I'm sure we'll probably get into to some degree. But um, there are elements about both halves that I like that both halves don't necessarily share. And there are elements about both halves that I don't particularly care for that, again, they don't necessarily, that aren't necessarily crossover to each other. So it's a little hard for me to completely compartmentalize exactly all of my feelings on it. I know that, it, I consider it to be a really good film, again, recommendable for for anybody who can handle the violence specifically. Yeah. And basically, that's the statement that I've made is like, if you're interested in this story and you're not particularly uh, nauseated by extreme violence, the war variety of violence, then I wholeheartedly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely... In, I forget what I was watching. I was watching something online where we we saw a couple of uh, I watched a couple of clips after I had seen it. You know, several months after I had seen it, and saw you know a couple moments of of extreme war violence. And of course, it's going to be violent. That's fine. But I think I had forgotten. Like, oh right, this is. I mean, brutal. I mean, it is mm-hmm. up there with Saving Private Ryan as oh, far yeah. as the the types of the type of violence that we're seeing. Um, 
Yeah, and as far as the splitting it up into two halves, uh, that is not completely unheard of. Full Metal Jacket does that. Right. But right. oddly enough, most I feel like a lot of people agree that the first half of Full Metal Jacket is infinitely better than the second. The second as is kind of standard war. It's good, but yeah. it's standard war movie fair whereas the first half with arlie ermy and all that oh and wow. just and vincent nofrio being going just crazier and crazier like that is something we hadn't really seen before even in like an officer and a gentleman with uh mm-hmm. lou gossett jr being the drill sergeant like we hadn't seen anything quite like this so this is uh there is definitely a precedent for for that um what i will say is that i, I think i might defend it a little bit um because i think both halves work in completely different ways. Hmm. But what I what strikes me about that is that when it comes right down to it, everything is going everything in the world, everything you know is going to be different than war. You can't yeah. like you can't try to strike a consistent tone from even in the midst of boot camp and a particularly brutal boot camp for the main character, even that there's no seamless transition into right. the 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 situation of, of war. I mean, it's it is completely. I say this as someone that is that has never been to war, but having watched a lot of war movies, <laughs> ugh, um, <laughs> I, I would all understand if you turn this podcast off. Having my my having said that, um, but it's just such a surreal environment I, I often find myself thinking like how do people even make conscious decisions in right. the midst of war right when they're in the when they're in the middle of a war zone I mean that's that's what why the training is so important is it trains an, uh, an instinct into you right but the idea of strategy the idea of oh I should run this way instead of that way I should shoot that and not this it seems to me that like that's out for me that's out the window the moment the bullets start flying yeah. and so it is absolute chaos and th- nothing is going to be similar to that you know no matter how like you could try to unify it through music you can unify it through a character but it's just going to be a completely different world. And so, uh, so along those lines, I'm fine with it. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, what I will say, and maybe I'll, so the film is about, uh, Desmond Doss, who is a a real, uh, a real guy. And a lot of this film is based on his real experiences. They, they did take a couple different battles and, and combine them into one. Uh, but, he was a guy who was not necessarily a conscientious objector. He did not necessarily object to the war. Right. But his own personal religious beliefs uh, caused him to not want to fight in the war. He wanted to be a part of it. He wanted to be a, an, uh, a medic. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want to carry a gun. He didn't want to shoot anybody. Right. And so this, the first half is all about him fighting for that against the army itself. And then... From a structure standpoint, I actually like this a lot, that he's fighting for this thing, and then the second half is, okay, you got what you wanted, mm-hmm. what do you think? Yeah. And and there is that element of like, yeah, there's, he just, have his, he just has his fists, and uh, that's not going to be very helpful. Um, so uh, so it's a, it is definitely a very interesting story and and he still managed to do tremendous things even without a gun maybe even especially without a gun wow, yeah. um but 
here is the here's one of the biggest things that I took from the film. And we can talk about the individual like artistic elements about it in a moment. But this is the big thing I took out of it. And given what I was talking about last week, this may seem like an odd takeaway. So the film is definitely anti-violence and the, the film definitely takes his perspective. But I do find myself in this weird, uh, this weird limbo between like Hawk and Dove in that Desmond does not want to carry a gun and I am fine with him not carrying a gun. It's, right. In fact, I, I feel like the army should be okay with that. If this guy wants to put himself in that situation, then so be it. Mm -hmm. But I also come away thinking, boy, I'm glad nobody else. I'm glad most guys didn't think that <laughs> right. because when it comes right down to it, we still, we still do need to win a war. Mm -hmm. And while it is important for medics to try to save lives and try to keep our own guys, uh, alive and, and healthy, um, in the end, that's not going to defeat your enemy. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be shamed by your, right. your lack of gun. Right. 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 Um, and so it, it's a, it's a weird thing. So I found myself sort of not siding with, but understanding the other side. Mm -hmm. um, the guy, the guys who, and I don't think the film necessarily treats them as somehow moral inferiors or anything like that. But this, this understanding that like, yeah, wars are an unfortunate reality of life and they need to be fought and fighting can only really be done with a gun shooting at the enemy. Mm -hmm. And there is actually a scene uh, later on when uh, later on in the film when he is uh, saving, I think it's Vince Vaughn actually. Mm. And he's dragging Vince Vaughn off of this battlefield and he has his back to the battle. Uh, sorry, Desmond, Desmond, Andrew Garfield has his back to the battlefield as he's dragging this, you know, I don't know what it is, but like dragging this, let's say sled. It's not actually a sled, right? But it's he's like a tarp of some yeah, kind or something. He's dragging this tarp with Vince Vaughn on it. Mm -hmm. And so Vince Vaughn is firing at, at anybody. He's right. basically providing cover mm -hmm. while Desmond Doss pulls him away. And I feel like that's the image for me of what war actually is. You need both. Yeah. And so I complete, it's one of those things where the, the film, and I don't know if the film wants me to feel this. In fact, I'm pretty sure it doesn't where it's just like, like, wow, Desmond Doss, what a noble guy. I'm glad nobody else was that. I, I'm glad the majority of soldiers weren't that noble. Hmm. Otherwise, you know, as they say, we'd all be speaking German right now. Right. Um, right. or I guess Japanese based on this film. But, um, <laughs> So what, what do you think of that? Like, I feel it feels gross for me to even say that I don't consider myself very hawkish, but I do, It is a thing I thought about. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, not only do I think you articulated it well, I think I'd agree with it that it, 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 it speaks to the nature of that, like that image that you described of Doss running with Vince Vaughn providing cover, yeah. you know, like uh, all of that. I think it speaks to the nature of individual purpose and individual like conviction as it mm -hmm. were. And I think, you know, I, I say for myself, uh, I'm not trying to get political. I'm just trying to get identifying yeah. here. I say for myself that I am unilaterally pro-life, which yeah. means that I'm, I'm personally opposed to capital punishment. I'm generally opposed to abortion and, uh, I'm what I saw, what I say, I'm war avoidance. Sure. And the reason I make that sort of stipulation there is exactly what you said, that, that 
in general, I think we should try diplomatic measures where we can. Sure. But if we find ourselves in a fight, then there needs to be some degree of fighting the battle. And there's a certain yeah. nobility to that. There's, there is a certain degree of honor, even if there's not, there's debates about whether or not war is really glorious, you know, right. but, um, but definitely, uh, has a measure of honor that yeah. is, that is just by the, by the very fact that people are running into a life or death situation, many of them will not make it out. Yeah. And the fact that they're running into that for their country, for their cause, anything, that's that's unquestionably noble. Yeah. And, um, yes, the the horrors of the necessity of them taking another life or of them doing violence to someone, that is, that is also uh, must be weighed in the balance as you're taking those things into, into consideration. But I actually think you might have actually turned me in a positive light, even just with that brief moment, towards something that I didn't realize – I do think that the film, better than I gave it credit for before this conversation, I think the film does a good job of, if you're in this mindset that, hey, we need, our, we need fighters mm -hmm. and fighting is the way to do it, I think that the film does a good job of validating the DOS perspective of things yeah. and saying like, you know what, there's some people who that's not in them to do and we need them too. Mm -hmm. But as you said particularly with that last half and seeing how grisly it all is, if you're really in the DOS camp, which I tend to be, yeah, then you do see like, whew, thank God they've got some marksmen's there. Thank God yeah. there's some people there who know what they're doing in terms of strategy and in terms of navigating the battlefield. Um, and so I think the film may strike a better balance than I initially gave it credit for of depending on which side you're in, really being able to see the value in the opposing side of things. Yeah, uh, Desmond doesn't say this, but if I were him, I would, you know, after the initial horrible skirmish in which he, you know, saves a number of people, yeah. I did also have this, if I were him, I would think, the only way I was able to do what I'm able to do is because they're doing what they're doing. Yes. I have the freedom and I don't mean freedom in the like that kind of American way. I mean individual. Like mm -hmm. I guess that's American. But um, you know, I have the freedom to not carry a gun mm -hmm. precisely because they are. Yes. And maybe I should. And I don't think he was necessarily judging anybody. I don't think. No. I don't think he was. But uh, and that's good because uh, that would have been rough stuff if they made Desmond Doss into like a really self righteous guy. But yeah. uh, though, frankly, I feel like it would have been nice to see more self-righteousness from him. Cause I feel like he's just an angel the whole time, which gets into uh, an artistic issue I have, but he's really sort of pristine. And I, yeah, I mean, yeah. that character has moments of uh, conflict, internal conflict, but his, he never makes a wrong choice through the yeah. entire narrative of the film. Never, maybe, no, I was about to say maybe in relationship to his fiance and then wife and everything, but even those are situations beyond his control. So he yeah. no, he never makes a wrong choice the entire the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, it's his conflict is should I be less than perfect because everybody around me is less than perfect? Nope. I'm going to continue being perfect. Yes. Yes. Uh it is it is a bummer. Um and so that's the thing is maybe f frankly Maybe because the film did not provide me with really any actual philosophical con uh, conflict uh, or or internal conflict in the character, maybe I uh, 
unconsciously started looking for some. And that's mm-hmm. how I found that uh, sort of philosophical conflict right. within the within the character and within the larger situation. Um, but yeah, it was just, a, again, that is not a thing I wanted to hit very hard. It's just a, something that, that crossed my mind. Sure. And I couldn't, couldn't get rid of it. So, uh, so yeah, let's talk about uh, some of these other elements and let's talk about the character of Doss and I guess the performance of Andrew Garfield. Mm-hmm. The character is indeed perfect. That's the thing that Mel Gibson does though. When it yeah. comes right down to it, like William Wallace is basically perfect. Yeah. Uh, what is it named? Panther Claw or whatever from Apocalypto. Oh, right, right. I think that's his name. He's basically perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus, obviously perfect. Um, <laughs> I was I was about to make the joke of, well, and no, nah. <laughs> decided it's, against it. You know, he is, Gibson is a big, broad filmmaker. Mm-hmm you know, um, who is not the most nuanced is not the most subtle. I think he's very much in favor of good versus evil. Yeah. As an, you know, he's not very interested in showing, uh, the Japanese as humans. This is not a, uh, uh, letters from Iwo Jima situation. <laughs> no, like, no, they are the enemy coming out of the mist and mm-hmm. they will actually even pretend to surrender so that they could kill more people. Yep. There is a, there is a moment when Desmond has actually lowered down, uh, cause everything takes place up on this, on this Ridge. And mm. so the minute, uh, and so the, the American soldiers are basically landed on a, on a beach and they have to climb this Ridge in order to get to the enemy. And the minute they do, they're in a hundred percent enemy territory. Mm-hmm. So they just get, you know, it's called hacksaw cause they just get hacked to pieces. Right. Um, so Doss is stuck up there. Uh, alone and so he slowly but surely like finds wounded soldiers while after the americans have retreated for you know temporarily he finds soldiers and lowers them down and he finds a couple of japanese soldiers and lowers them down and while this isn't hit too hard eh, those japanese soldiers somehow they don't quite make it that's exactly what they say they just say yeah they didn't make it (laughs) yeah and yeah yeah, we know why they didn't make it these guys killed them yeah exactly and so like, oh, okay. I, I think I would have liked, honestly, I guess this makes Desmond even more perfect. Um, I would have liked a, a little bit of conflict where he's asking like, where are those Japanese soldiers mm-hmm. I lowered down? And they say that to him. Mm-hmm. And he says like, I put my life on the line mm-hmm. to do what is right mm-hmm. and preserve life of any kind. Right. They were already prisoners. You know, this is unacceptable or whatever. Um, I would have liked that scene. I think that would have been really interesting. And that would have done a good job of really hitting home that, yeah, nobody is really a saint in war, except, of course, for Desmond Doss, um, <laughs> that nobody's really a saint. But again, that is subtle. Yeah. Those are that's a, those are shades of gray. Mm-hmm. And that's not what Mel Gibson is interested in as yeah. a filmmaker. And, you know, I, I don't begrudge him that. People are going to make the films they're going to make. But, uh you know, hacks. Uh, I at this point, I know what I am expecting when I mm-hmm. go into a Mel Gibson film, and it is not. Uh, it's not a, a Mike Lee film where everybody's good, everybody's bad, and uh, he loves them all. But he's going to be honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's a very different kind of thing, and so uh, and so. Of course, it's understandable that the Desmond Doss, who you know, where William Wallace was willing to, he was willing to die and kill, yes. mostly kill. Mm-hmm. And if he has to die, um, but the idea of taking part in this larger conflict and not killing people, uh, is something that definitely sets Desmond Doss apart from most war heroes that we see. Um, and I think Andrew Garfield does a really, a really great job. There is something, 
there's something about his voice. He has kind of not a higher voice, but he doesn't have like a, a deep gruff voice. So when right. he is saying these noble things, it's hard not to see him as even more angelic than, right. uh, than the character right. comes across. But I think, I think Andrew Garfield does a really great job compared to his performance in uh, silence. I feel like there's, I feel like there is no comparison. I, I agree with that. <laughs> It's not so much that I think he's better in silence. He is, but I think he's just given more to work with uh, from, yeah. a, from an internal conflict standpoint. Because, because, I mean, we don't need to divert here because we're not talking about that film, but it is ironic that Hacksaw Ridge comes out the same year as Silence. They're both heavily steeped in how to or whether or not to stand by your convictions. Yeah. They both star Andrew Garfield uh, and it, and they both take place in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's so fascinating that those two things happened. But when you look at Garfield's performance in this versus Garfield's performance in silence, I agree with you. It's like this, we've talked a couple of times about how Doss is basically a perfect character. Whereas his character in silence is, it's almost all nuance. It's almost yeah. all toying with these sort of uh, complicated places. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, they're, they're setting out to do different things. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, I think Mel Gibson in many ways is something of a throwback, uh, as mm -hmm. a director. I think he tells, again, he tells, big stories, uh, like big epic stories that are very simple to understand. And, you know, not unlike Ben-Hur. Right. Or right. Uh, I think, I honestly, I think David Lean actually is probably the best one of these because he actually does layer on a lot of nuance mm -hmm. and a lot of deep flaws in his characters. But, right. uh, but when we think of these old time Hollywood uh, epics, um, where it's just like, Look, we're dealing in big things and uh, mm -hmm. black and white, good and evil. Those are big things. So that's what we're going right. to, how we're going to talk. Right. Um, so, you know, so it's nothing against Andrew Garfield. He was just, you know, it's largely understood that he was not, if he was going to be nominated, it was for the wrong movie. But silence, aside from cinematography, was just not embraced by the Academy, right. uh, Academy at all. Um and I did have this thought. People kept saying about silence, and we're we're going to do an episode about it eventually, I'm sure. But um, people kept saying about silence, like, man, they released it in so many theaters and it made no money. And I remember thinking, like, did people think it was going to? Right. Right. Yeah. Look, I recognize that it's Oscar season, and this does have Adam Driver and Liam Neeson and and Andrew Garfield. Like, I, I get that, but at the same time, nothing about that film implies it's going to make a bunch of money. No. 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 It's not going to be the feel-good hit of the summer. It's right. It's not. Yeah. You released around the same time as Rogue One. Right. Which one do you think people are going to see? Right. It's, it's right. I don't know. It just seemed like, such a, <laughs> seemed like such a weird thing. Like, mm -hmm. you released that in two theaters per city. Done. That's right. how that's, that's how you release Silence. Um, as opposed to something like Wolf of Wall Street, which, yes, was also a very long film directed by Martin Scorsese, but so different in tone. Oh, yeah. Um, so, anyway... Uh, Sorry, again, that's for the the silence episode. Uh, as far as some of the the supporting performances in Hacksaw Ridge, you know, Hugo Weaving is a good actor, but he's also not the most subtle actor, and so he plays like the drunken, abusive, but still kind, but flawed, right? And vaguely sympathetic. and sympathetic and vaguely noble father, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and he plays everything that character needs to be in a movie like this. There is a scene. You know, because there's going to be some kind of inquest, we know that eventually someone's going to burst in and uh, and make an impassioned plea. We yeah. just know it. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
And sure enough, that's what happens. And it's like, oh, and it's his father who is uh, disapproving. I haven't seen that in a billion sports movies. <laughs> um, I just re I just watched uh, Eddie the Eagle. It came out last year about the. Oh yeah, uh, I haven't seen that yet. It's, it, you know, it's the hacksaw ridge of Olympic movies. <laughs> um, but uh, but that even that has like a father who doesn't believe him in the, in his son, and then suddenly, oh, now he's on board. It's very standard. Yeah. But what I actually like about that scene is you actually see the father outside the inquest room talking with Desmond's fiance, trying to right. f- like trying to figure out like what he should do and all that. And because we saw the behind the scenes, we saw him making the decision, but more specifically figuring out the logistics of the decision. Right. It actually undercuts some of the cheesiness for me. I agree with that. Um yeah. So stuff like that, I, I I actually liked quite a bit. And then a lot of people said that Vince Vaughn was really bad in the movie. I thought he was really good. Wait, they said he was bad? Yeah, a my lot wife of and people I, said he was terrible. My wife and I both commented that it was a stronger performance than we normally see from him. That I, I Vince Vaughn is somebody who I go back and forth on on whether or not I even enjoy him. Yeah. But uh, but this I thought he he delivered a very strong performance, a very capable performance. I would call yeah. it. I mean, it's tough because. Honestly, if we if we see a drill sergeant in a movie, we're going to think of uh, Full Metal Jacket. We're probably going to think of, yeah. full, uh, of uh, an officer and a gentleman. And so, you know, now it's oh well. Here's this movie star mm-hmm. trying to do this, and but I think he does okay. And and the character is of course supposed to be funny at times, and he is funny. Yeah. But then the the few moments when he's actually sympathetic to Desmond and ultimately kind of pl- pleading with him to say like, we don't actually want to be doing this, right? Right. So why don't you just give in? You get the feeling like he doesn't actually dislike this guy. Right. Right. Um, he has a job to do, and he f- genuinely philosophically feels like Desmond sticking to these principles is going to get people killed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of his job is making sure he doesn't get to do that. Desmond doesn't get to do what he feels like he should do. Um, and I think he plays those scenes very well. And I think Sam Worthington, an actor that I historically think is uh, tremendously dull. Um, I agree. He does a pretty good job too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you take these these actors that are traditionally like lead actors for good or ill, put them in supporting roles, and they're they're not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, from a, from an acting standpoint, I think the film is 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 quite good. Um, and you know, I don't have much else to say about it except it's just a the same thing I would say about any Mel Gibson film. Mm-hmm. Except Apocalypto, which I think is a masterpiece. Um, right. This is, it's just a solid film. Yeah, I was going to use that exact same word that I think that, you know, when you see extraordinary things, um, there can be the, it can be difficult to approach a film like Hacksaw Ridge and think like, like you said, there's, there's almost nothing that I would criticize about this film from an objective point of view. There's yeah. a, a handful of subjective things that I don't personally respond to that I might kick back against, but I wouldn't fault the film for that. I would acknowledge these are things that I don't particularly respond to. But that having been said, the film, I wouldn't necessarily call it paint by numbers for a couple of the reasons right. that, you, that you've already alluded to about how it undercuts some of its more uh, cheesy moments. Um, but at the same time, it is just simply solid. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's firmly a good movie and, you know, he's easily recommendable again, if you can, t- if you can handle the violence. And I think there, there can be this tendency when, a f- when we would not be willing to call a film extraordinary, yeah. there can be this tendency to try to 
pick apart why it's less than. But I don't necessarily think that that's a very valuable conversation to have because I don't think this film is, as we would say, less than. It's simply very, as we've said already, focused. It's solid. Um, It has a clear, distinct... Gibson had a vision for how he wanted to tell this story, and he told it that way. And I, I think kudos to him, and it's a good film. And I would say the violence of the film might keep it from being what I would call a crowd pleaser, but all of the instincts are there mm-hmm. for it to be. It's in, you know not unlike you know hidden figures, where it's right. a big broad story told in a big broad way. It's inspiring. It's mm-hmm. based on a true story. It's all of that, but because Mel Gibson really wants. To depict how horrendous war can be, I'd say that's what key, you know. It's a it's an R-rated film uh, for violence, and uh, I think that might that would keep most people from calling it a crowd pleaser. But it really is when you think yeah. about it. Oh, yeah. Um, so okay. So the thing that uh, really comes through in Hacksaw Ridge is that Desmond Doss does not want to pick up a gun. He does not want to be responsible for killing anybody, right. at least not directly. He does deflect a couple of grenades that obviously are going to explode and kill people. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, he wants to he wants to try to save life. You know, he doesn't want to sit out the war. He believes in the war, right? But he believes that his role in the war is very specific. So um, it's something of a, it's actually something of a, of a fine line, but I think he walks it pretty well. We have a pretty good idea of what it is he objects to and what he wants to do, because honestly, he has to say it many times. <laughs> right. So uh, I wanted to bring up the film Chariots of Fire, which we have done a mini-sode on quite a while ago. Uh, Chariots of Fire is a, is a film that Christians talk about a lot and mm-hmm. I have no problem with. It is a very good film mm-hmm. with a... Uh, a main, it also based on a true story. Um, definitely a crowd pleaser on top of everything right, else. Right. And it's this character, uh, this this guy who is an Olympic runner and was a strong Christian. And uh, his faith in, really informed his his running. And it's something. It's a film that is often invoked by people like me when he says, like, no, the best way. Where I believe someone, a reverend, says to him that. You know, you glorify God by doing it to perfect, doing this thing to perfection. Right. It may not right. seem glorifying to God uh, overtly, but I think he says, you know, you you can glorify God by peeling a spud yeah, as exactly long as you do it to perfection. And yeah. so, so that's often how we talk about uh, chariots of fire. But the same thing that makes this this guy Eric Liddell that makes him want to run for God and run his best for God is the same thing that causes him to say, I'm not going to run on Sundays, right? That is the Sabbath. And that is, so I need to be true to myself. I need to be true to my beliefs. And he is, everyone acknowledges if he runs, he's going to win. And so we're (laughs) going to get a gold. Yay. Yeah. And so when they hear that he's not going to run on Sunday, and I think there is a, a a major race that's going to happen on Sunday. You've watched it more recently than I have. Yeah. Um, that he, they, they pressure him tremendously to, uh, and it's just so interesting how quickly they say like, yes, yes, God is all well and good, but your country, man, come on. Hmm. Um, so there's, there's a lot going on with the film that I like quite a bit. Uh, was this your first time seeing it? It was. And what it did was, you think? Well, it was a film that I had heard about a lot, uh, sure. in, in brief, um, because I had heard about it a ton. And because I knew something of the themes, words had been tossed around a multitude of times about inspiring and crowd pleasing and everything like that. I was I was a bit underwhelmed, mm-hmm. um, except for 
some of the the pivotal moments in the latter half of of Chariots of Fire, right? Uh, particularly when he when Liddell is standing by his convictions. Yeah. Um, some of the elements with Abraham's and and some of his struggles, particularly towards the end of the film, I became a lot more invested. The 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 film again. I was I, I think I was a bit underwhelmed just because of the weight of expectation. It had won mm-hmm. Best Picture. It I think uh, it was nominated for a number of other awards yeah. and. Before I knew anything about the film at all, I knew that it was very popular among Christian audiences yeah. because of some of the things on display and some of the philosophy and the theology even at, at play in the story. Does that make you suspicious? Does that immediately, it, it does for me, it immediately, yeah. like when, when certain audiences find this film acceptable, my first thought is, yeah... But there are other movies you find acceptable that are horrible. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, I'm immediately going skeptical. Yeah, and I think I went in uh, to this one kind of wondering, as, as I often do. It's it's one of those things where I'm like, wow, this was embraced by the Academy, mm-hmm. but is also wholeheartedly embraced by sort of the church community. And so I found that interesting. Yeah. Um, but I can remember only because you briefly brought it up, it brings it to the forefront of my mind. I can remember being surprised at how much I enjoyed Ben-Hur. Yeah. Same weight of expectations, same sort of, you know, Academy recommendation. I knew it was a, you know, called A Tale of the Christ, yeah. at least the novel was. And and so I'm sitting there and so the weight of expectation and I was alarmed given how long the film is and how old the film is, how much I enjoyed Ben-Hur. Yeah. So it was kind of, part of me was kind of hoping for something similar with Chariots of Fire and I walked away, ironically, feeling very similar to how I felt with Hacksaw Ridge where I walked away, I was like, there's nothing I can fault this film for. It's very well written. Yeah. It's very well performed it's focused it's um i would maybe comment a bit on the pacing um and a bit on the the, at times the uh, evangelist score uh feels uh anachronistic at times it feels perfect I think it's meant to be anachronistic. Mm. So, so Vangelis won actually best score for this film. Well, that beating out among others, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You're kidding. Yeah. But, um, you know, and the chariots of fire theme is something that people know. And that, yeah, that's really iconic. You know, when I think of Vangelis, I think of Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of synthesizer in there, which can kind of work for Blade Runner because it takes place in the future. And so perhaps by using synth with, chariots of fire perhaps they're trying to be anachronistic and trying to sort of take this old timey story Mm. and bring it and sort of use that to appeal to modern audiences Mm. i think all it actually does is date the movie if they had gone with a more traditional score i think the film would be much more accessible oddly enough i agree with that i agree with that because it does it does feel like and oftentimes the score feels like it's trying to evoke a different emotion than the scene itself is i'm I'm thinking specifically of the final abraham's race yeah uh, where the score i was preparing myself because of the score in that moment for one of his competitors to like cheat and cut him in the ankle or something like that you know because 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 the score gets so dark and ominous in that moment um and it's really just trying i think now in retrospect trying to express the weight of the race that he was having to run because he has his own intentions and convictions that he's running towards in the film uh that are very different from liddell's but um or little's it's little um but uh but yeah i mean overall it's the kind of film that i would say just like I would caution people against the violence in Hacksaw Ridge, I would caution people against the deliberate pacing in Chariots of Fire, but otherwise wholeheartedly recommend it. You know, it's one of those, yeah. it's just one of those solid films. 
And yeah, it's, I can't find much to criticize, even though my own personal experience was a bit underwhelming. Yeah, the thing about crowd pleasers is that they plead, they uh, please crowds, and I am sometimes in the crowd. You know, um, it, it's hard to watch chariots and fire, chariots of fire, and say like this, this movie is awful, or even no, that it's bad. No, right. The the most you can like the worst thing you can say is, eh, probably didn't deserve best picture, and uh, mm. it's not amazing. But it was still inspiring in certain moments sure. and uh, interesting. Nonetheless, it's an interesting story. And the, and the idea of taking these two guys who are both wonderful runners, but running for completely different motives. Yes. Uh, that's an interesting way to tell this story. Yeah. They could have picked, they could have just gone with Eric Little, mm -hmm. but they didn't. They picked this other guy who is a parallel to him in every possible way. Right. And I think that's a, that's a, a really good hook. Oh, say that. absolutely. So, yeah, and the absolutely. film, I believe it did win original screenplay. Yes. Yeah. And speaking to the screenplay, I apologize. I almost interrupted you. The, That's the, fine. uh, the scene where little is sort of confronted head, head on about his convictions and whether or not he will compromise them for the yeah. sake of this race, that entire scene and it, the decision that happens in the scene and the aftermath of it and everything that crackled for me like yeah. that that moment alone was enough to solidify my saying this is this is a strong film even though the the relative you know hour and 55 minutes that surrounded that scene um was was sort of hit or miss for me that one scene i was like this is this is affecting this entire moment the way it's written the way it's performed uh it's it's very affecting and i walked away going Good Lord, I hope that there's some part of me that would hold to those convictions yeah. in that way and have that much eloquence in terms of speaking about it and in expressing it. You know, I think Doss in Hacksaw Ridge has, you know, a, a decent degree of eloquence. Um, yeah. But Doss in Hacksaw Ridge feels a bit more gutsy. Yeah. Whereas uh, Little feels a bit more philosophical and perhaps even academic, intellectual. Well, I feel like he has to be because mm -hmm. honestly, Doss is going into a literal life or death situation. Right, right. Little is, I mean, the Olympics are obviously very important, but in the mm -hmm. end, there's really only glory to right. be had. Right, right. Both right, for right. you and your country. Yeah. And so, you know people can make in, in Doss's case, people can make the argument that if you don't do this, people are going to die. So you need to speak in, you know, in some cases, phil uh, philosophy, but you also need to speak in just as down to earth terms as they are speaking. Right. Whereas, you know, if the, if the Olympic committee, if the British Olympic committee or whatever you want to call it, uh, if they are invoking love of country, mm -hmm. well, they're, they're saying this is what you should value. And so he has to come back and say, well, why? I value this over here and I value it more. So right, why should right. I value what you say? And so, yeah, the, because of the specifics of their stories, the, the tone is going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit different. And I think because you and I are who we are, I'll probably go more with the guy who's speaking philosophically and in an abstract way. Right. He's also British. Um, <laughs> You know, so automatically smarter, <laughs> at least by Obviously, how he sounds. Yes, yes yeah. absolutely. Desmond Doss is from the South. <laughs> and being from the South, we sound like idiots frequently. Yeah. Do you ever listen to yourself? All the time. And yeah. I'm, I'm embarrassed yeah, by no, it. No, thank yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. Um, apologies to any listeners that live in the South. I am being uh, facetious. Um, <laughs> and I'm from the South, so I'm allowed to tear us down. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
only to rise again, right? That's right. It's right. <laughs> Someday. Glory be. Someday. <laughs> um, okay, so, <laughs> sorry again. Um, <laughs> uh, for a long time on Battleship Retention, if I was going to go into a dumb guy voice, it, it was almost always Southern. And then we've, uh, sure. we've hit on this other thing now, this, this voice oh. that I started doing, which is the like the vaguely conspiratorial, like hippie type guy. It's like, you know what? I'll tell you this. <laughs> like the guy who just, he's dumb precisely because he thinks he's so smart. That's that I think is a, a next level type of dumb character. Wow. Um, but yeah. And so you do mention, and this will, this will, this will get us into the, the theme and, and towards the end of the episode, you do mention looking at Eric little and, and certainly Desmond Doss and say like, boy, I wish if the chips were down that I could have that level of conviction. And so uh, along those lines, that is what we're going to be exploring. Like I said, not specifically war related, as we just said, you know, Eric little faces a similar situation and he is not in the midst of war. So, um, but it is a thing that, uh, that I guarantee it might not be life or death. It might not even be like a professional thing, but sooner or later we will be faced, you know, faced with this, uh, decision Mm -hmm. to be honest about ourselves and to be true to what we believe. I mean, obviously silence is a big part of this as well. Um, and it can be very difficult not to, uh, a couple years ago at the international Christian film festival, I think I told this story before, um, uh, this, young this like 15 year old girl like was hanging out at my table and she there was like a local christian radio station and she like provided movie review movie reviews for that station Hmm. and uh so she was asking me about you know film criticism and that kind of thing and so and part of me thought you're on the radio i'm not you 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 tell me Hmm. but she did tell me that you know, it's a Christian radio station and, uh, somebody there, there is a fair amount of pressure on her to give Christian movies, good reviews, even if she oh, didn't wow. think they were that particularly good, partially to keep up relationships with those studios. Sure. And I totally understand what that's like. We have good relationships with, uh, with BP. We have good relationships with all manner of studios and there's always, and and specific publicists. And we will often get an email from the publicist after the screening saying, Hey, if you could write like a paragraph of like what you think, uh, right. The idea is maybe they would use it. I don't know. And there have been times when I have to say like, all right, here's my paragraph. I'm sending it to you specifically a person who's going to, who, you know, it's not like this publicist worked on the film, but at the same time, it's their company. And, it's entirely possible they could read that and say, why are we giving this dumb online <laughs> outlet? Why are we giving them press credentials if this is what they're going to do in right, favor, you know, right. in response? And so, um, so uh, yeah, I told, I said to this girl that, look, I, I totally understand why you might want to emphasize what you like and what you don't, uh, than what you don't like. But in the end, as a critic, really the only thing, and especially as a critic who identifies as Christian and thus you have to be honest, um, the only thing you really have is your credibility. And if you're going to compromise that, then you really shouldn't be a critic. Mm -hmm. Um, You should be, you should just basically turn it into like entertainment tonight where you're just talking about these movies and what they have to offer, but not actually give any opinion. Right. And so, um, 
so you know that's that's a remarkably low stakes thing but that's an example of you got to stick to your principles mm-hmm. and even if it's uh, i didn't like this movie yeah you know i am debating when i go uh to give my talk at the International Christian Film Festival in early May, uh, the the talk is called "Everybody Hates Critics," uh, and I'm going to be talking about why critics are necessary and why in the Christian community we need a lot more of them yeah. in regards to film. Uh, and I'm debating, like, okay, how much of a jerk am I going to be? Um, I don't want to be any kind of jerk, but. Because people at the film festival have been very, very encouraging of me. Yeah. So yeah. if I go up and talk about, you know, if I if I say, here's why the Christian community needs more critics, I'm going to be bashing right, Christian right, film. Right. And keynote speaker of uh, this festival, oh. David A.R. White. Oh, no. I was thought you were about to say the, uh, oh, shoot, the name escapes me. The, the the guy behind Courageous and oh uh, Alex Kendrick Alex was, Kendrick yeah that was Kendrick. last year oh got it got and it. when I met him I said I'm not always a big fan of your films I loved uh, his response though I still yeah, remember it yeah yeah and neither am I yeah so uh, <laughs> that's great and and that's the thing is I I respect him infinitely more than I respect a lot of what Pure Flix puts out sure um sure. I I don't th- I genuinely don't I think that it's manipulative mm. um his I think he just doesn't make great movies but they come from a very real place whereas yeah. I think Pure Flix takes the temperature of the culture and f- and in a very populist way fills in the, you know, just hits certain buttons, you know? Right. And yeah, so, and I'm, uh, as we know from my discussion with Jeff Newberg, I'm not a fan of populism. And, um, <laughs> and so my question is, do I go out of my, like not even go out of my way as I'm talking about what is potentially wrong with Christian film, mm-hmm. Do I steer clear of pure? Do I steer clear of God's not dead? Right, because I know what you mean. not only do people in the audience do they know, uh, have many of them probably seen it and maybe even liked it. Not only that, but the guy behind Pure Flix is the keynote speaker, yeah. and you know, word gets around, and you sure. never know. And so, uh, so that's. I feel like, you know, we're not going to run in the Olympics. We're not going to fight in a war. This is what our dilemmas are going to look right, like, you right. know, I mean, you've been in situations professionally where you can, you have the opportunity to sort of take the high road and do the Christian thing when so many other people would say you've been mistreated. So you right. know what? Screw the people that mistreated you. Right. Right. And you had a choice to make. Now mm-hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of pressure going against you to be a jerk. Sure. But again, like it's not going to look quite as the thing about crowd pleasing movies is again, avoiding subtlety means that they will often present these circumstances in very black and white ways. Whereas we will likely encounter much more nuanced situations. Yeah. I had, uh, uh, the, the details aren't necessarily, uh, terribly relevant, but, uh, just in brief, uh, very recently I encountered a situation where unexpectedly a friend of mine put me into a, a compromising position mm-hmm. where they asked me they asked me to do them a favor and they did so uh, they asked me publicly and put me on the spot and asked them to do they asked me to do them a favor that I was not comfortable with yeah. I'll just I'll just put it at that nothing illegal yeah. you know uh, uh, I don't I wouldn't even say from my perspective nothing immoral either but they asked me to do them a favor that I was not comfortable with yeah and uh, I reacted 
and I did the favor. Uh, nobody got hurt. Nothing. There was no problem. It's not any, it's not anything really that scandalous, but, um, when I did them this favor, uh, there ensued, uh, this internal conflict about where have I compromised and, uh, you know, was even to a degree called to task for having compromised. Uh, I was, and I wrestled at first with feeling like, Hey, I was just put in this terrible position, you know? And I think about like Hacksaw Ridge and I think about, you know, Doss's conviction and how, you know, absolutely adamant he is and and firm in his convictions he is. And I think about little in the same scenario. And then I think about poor feeble old me who was just put on the spot and asked to do something uncomfortable. And because I, and, and I remember thinking, uh, before we were going to talk about these films, I thought about assessing that situation and feeling in myself, I was like, what was the big deal? And it kind of dawned on me that the reason I compromised that conviction was because I wanted this person to know that I loved them. I wanted this person to to feel accepted by me. They were doing something that was uncomfortable, but I didn't want them to feel judged. Right. So there were all of those sort of micro expressions at play in, yeah. in me. And when I was praying about it after the fact and trying to come to some sort of healthy place about it, I realized I was like, you know what would have been a better choice than compromising my own convictions and compromising how I felt about it? A better choice would have just been to simply love them and not so much worry about whether or not they knew that I loved them or expressed it and simply be more honest. Because to be honest, by doing them the favor, though I was not comfortable with it, I was lying to them for yeah. for almost the entirety of the time and not really being authentic with them and yeah. not really being genuine about who I was. So yeah, they walk away thinking, man, that, that reads a cool guy. He's, he's great. Right. Yeah. But really, even though I do sincerely love them, they didn't, they, I missed an opportunity to be very authentic and genuine with them. And one of the things that I love about like specifically that scene with little is how even more so than Dawson Hacksaw Ridge, it's integral that his, his faith tied in with his abilities, tied in with his convictions, that it's all interlaced. Yeah. And to break off one, any one of those things is to make the whole thing tumble apart. That you have to keep firmly like, you know, I, I'm a runner, and that's what God's gifted and anointed me to do. I don't think he ever uses the word anointed, but that's the impression that I get. Yeah. And uh, part of that is that I have certain convictions about my faith that need to be adhered to. And as a result, uh, I I have to make sure that all of those things are constantly in tandem. And I love the letter that Stoltz gives him. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you remember, but he, he, uh, and and I'm even just seeing the movie yesterday, I forget the exact wording, but basically, you know, gives little a letter before he runs the race and says, you know, uh, uh, who shows me honor, I will honor. It's a a Bible verse. And uh, it's something that I thought about in relation to the times that I've compromised and the times that I've, sacrificed certain convictions for the sake of the approval of the person in the room or for the sake of my own comfort or for the sake of just the fact that I was just not very confident. And I may have had nothing more than just a simple, I'm not comfortable with this situation. Yeah. But I think ultimately if I had just, um, if I had just stopped for a minute and say, Hey, I need to be honest and open about this, even if it's, clunky even if it's not quite as eloquent as little is or as gutsy as dos is if i had just been willing to be honest and open about hey 
I, you know, I adore you, but this, but I'm not, I'm not on board for, for helping yeah. you out with this. Um, and maybe that person, maybe it would have been awkward and maybe there would have been a little bit of, uh, of reparations that needed to happen. But that, to your point about the International Christian Film Festival and, you know, those, those private moments, and I'm not going to be called upon to run into the field of battle and right. be a medic. You know, I'm not that smart to begin with. I don't have the athletic ability of like a little, but it's in those moments that I need to make sure that my heart is in the right place. Yeah. And then I make sure that I'm, that I'm brave enough, even though I've failed before, that I'm brave enough to try to at least stand by convictions and be true to who I believe God has asked me to be. Yeah, and I have a, a couple of uh, Bible verses here, and I actually want to uh, follow a th- there are two there are two passages, and I want to sort of follow a thread here. So the first is Proverbs four verses twenty five through twenty seven. Let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, give careful thought to the paths for your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So very much about keeping your eyes on the prize and knowing what that is and not deviating one, one way or another. And so one thing that I, uh, wanted to mention is that now there's, there's not a guarantee that this will happen, but it does happen in both films that we're talking about is that when you take a stand, yes, they're going to be the people that, think that is dumb there are going to be the people that are inconvenienced by that and they might only see that and resent you and that there's nothing you can really do about that right but there are also going to be people that see that and are excited about it Mm -hmm. um personal example this is this goes way back to the early days of more than one lesson where um i had a number of so you know we this is a christian show but we have a number of atheist listeners and we had a lot of people saying, Hey, I would love to write a blog, you know, for your, uh, write an article for your website, um, that sort of responds to some of the things that you've said on the show, not in a, not in a malicious way or anything, right, but just, right. uh, you know, I just, I feel like I would like to, prov- I'd like to provide, you know, the, the counterpoint. I want to provide hmm. like the atheist perspective to what you're saying. And I got enough people asking me that, that I felt like, okay, I'm just going to address this on the show. And ultimately what I said, and people might remember this, that is that this isn't that right. You know, as I, I run the risk of, of alienating them by saying that, but ultimately it's, this is a Christian show. If you have something to say, then by all means you can say it in the comments, but at the same time, I don't want any backdoor bloggers. I don't want Mm, you to write something that's eight paragraphs long. And I had to, I had to address that as well Mm, because some people did do that, but just like, the atheist perspective on film is well represented online. Yeah. Yeah. That is not what this is. This is not a debate show. It's not Mm -hmm. a debate site. So I put that out there and the, and I, and I, the minute I did, I thought like, man, that is going to bother some people. The only response I got was from one guy who was an atheist. He was not one of the people that wrote in and he said, thank you so much for doing that. Like, that's not why I listen to this show. That's not why I go to this website. He's like, I already know my view. Right. And I already know he goes, and I know it from me and from tons of other people. Sure. You know, to have you say that this is not what the site is like made me feel tremendously, uh, confident Mm -hmm. when I come to more than one lesson, even though everything that you and I say spiritually, he won't agree with, you know? And, so that's something that like I did what I thought I was supposed to do, but 
right. as tends to happen. Just like, oh, that was, that's not going to go great. Can I make one brief comment? Sure. I don't want to disrupt the thread that you're following, and I don't want to take too long here, but uh, it's something that I'm reminded of that uh, G.K. Chesterton wrote that I love and that I wish I had more in entrenched in my heart in practice. Um, he talked about the the freedom of boundaries mm-hmm. and of clear definition. That if you that he's and he used this example where he said you can walk right up to the edge of a cliff if it's clear and sunny outside, but you will stay far far away from it if it's foggy. Yeah. And so if the if if the waters are murky and if the convictions aren't firm, then people will tend to have to run away from that. Yeah. But to your example about the focus of saying that's not what more than one lesson is. So again, there there's a certain degree of freedom within just simply holding your ground and saying and and just knowing what you are, knowing where you stand on a particular issue or just knowing what the boundary line is and just yeah. saying, you know, this far no further, people tend to want to eradicate those or think that, that well, that's too restrictive and no. you need to be more open-minded. I, I put something on Facebook not that long ago where I said, you know, uh, open-mindedness doesn't really change anything. Open-mindedness just means you have very few convictions. Yeah. Attentive-mindedness, making sure that you are focused and, and are attentive, yeah. then there's some flexibility there. And you can walk right up to the edge of something that maybe you don't agree with, but because everything's clearly defined, then you know the terms and there's safety there and there's freedom there, even with the opposing sort of viewpoints. And I think that's something when it comes to conviction that we don't often consider. We think that we're doing the noble thing by broadening our convictions and lessening our convictions. But I think as the older I get and the more situations like this I encounter, I think there's substantially more health and even liberty in simply no, th- th- this is what I am, and this is who I am. This is this far, no further that I will go. Well, and just because you're you're not necessarily open minded, by which I mean the the definition that people tend to put out there, which is you don't take a firm stance on a lot of things. Mm. Just because you're not open minded doesn't mean you're not open hearted, mm, right? You know, right? Uh, knowing where you stand philosophically with your convictions is very different than here's where I stand and screw you for not standing there. It's quite the opposite. It's here's where I stand. I would love to hear where you stand. Right. Um, And then you can be approachable. Um, And the thing is, when you do this, and I learned this when I got that email from that guy, you never really know who's listening. It's definitely, it's a thing I've learned from this show in general, which is you, you say these things and even in the moment you might think like, ugh, I wish I didn't have to do that. And then someone from the sidelines steps in and says, boy, I'm really glad you did that. Mm -hmm. You know, it might not be the people you expected, Mm -hmm. um, but everyone's all, uh, people are paying attention. And I don't say that to make people paranoid. No, Um, that's true. And so there's a, there's a a verse here, uh, extended passage, first Peter three verses 13 through 17, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. That gets the open heartedness thing again. Yeah. Uh, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against Against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So this, this talks, uh, this talks to the idea that, that people 
sometimes, and maybe even often, respond to that. Even if you're telling them something they don't want to hear, they respond to that honesty. They respond to you living with integrity, right, you know, and right. we don't always, we, we compromise our convictions regularly, but, uh, but at least making the effort to live with integrity. And as we see from both films, uh, people that originally oppose our protagonists actually come to support them a little mm -hmm. bit. And so, um, in, so I've got a couple of quotes here. Uh, one is, as we'll be able to tell from the character names, one is from uh, Hacksaw Ridge and the other is very much from Chariots of Fire. There's uh, the Duke of Sutherland. <laughs> That's Chariots of Fire, everybody. That's a, These are British characters. He says, the lad, as you call him, is a true man of principles and a true athlete. His speed is a mere extension of his life. It's force. We sought to sever his running from himself. And then Lord Birkenhead... <laughs> He says, he says, for his country's sake, yes. And then uh, the Duke says, no sake is worth that, least of all a guilty national pride. Yeah. And so he literally, this is a guy who was trying to get Eric Little to do something he didn't want to do. And right. when he didn't, he realized like, right, the same thing that makes him such a good runner is the thing that's going to keep him from running on Sunday. Yeah. And then uh, there's a nice moment, I think, uh, with uh, the Captain Glover character played by um, Sam Worthington, where he's talking to Doss at the end of the film. And he says, all I saw was a skinny kid. I didn't know who you were. You've done more than any other man could have done in the service of his country. Now I've never been more wrong about someone in my life. And I hope one day you can forgive me. And it's just such a neat idea that the person who is who is doing wrong is actually shamed and i don't mean shamed in like the in like the really loaded like negative way but just right you know when you well, i'll put it this way they feel your conviction yeah because they themselves are convicted yeah yeah and so and then they then he this captain literally meets Doss on his own terms and is saying i hope you can forgive me not merely right. i'm sorry not merely i was wrong it's i actually need your pardon i need something from you as well like mm -hmm. it is a complete turnaround based solely on desmond yes he also does tr some tremendous things um but that is him being vindicated you know he can't carry people if he's holding a gun right and so right. um so yeah uh so that's ultimately what you know to to wrap things up that's ultimately what we're talking about with these films is that if you're a christian and frankly even if you're not like if you live by your convictions and you're honest about it yeah it's going to get you in hot water sometimes mm -hmm. uh, people are going to get angry at you people are going to threaten you and they might actually hurt you but in the end the the thing that the only thing you really have is what you believe and right and the things that you that you hold to so uh and both of these films are good examples of that so uh you know if you don't mind violence and you don't mind a weird synth uh, vangelis score <laughs> then uh make this a make this a double feature and uh you know uh and if you're a christian pray about uh, those areas in your life where maybe you're not living by your convictions and where right. maybe you can a little bit more and we yeah. all we all do it so uh, okay, we will leave it there. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, uh, please do check out my Kickstarter. Uh, like I said, it is fully funded at this point, uh, but we still, we're still, we're it, the campaign is still going on. I don't want to say we still want money because that sounds really crass, but we do still want money. <laughs> but it's not going into my pocket. It is going into the project itself. So the more we have, the more copies I can produce, uh, which 
you know, and I will be selling it through the website. So, you know, you, you will have the opportunity to purchase it later if you want. But, um, so yeah, check that out at more than one lesson.com. You can also email me Tyler at more than one lesson.com. You can uh, comment on this post, uh, at the website. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey at Reed Lackey. How often do you tweet? I feel like it's not often. It's not often, but you can also reach me at the fear of God for, That's the, right. for the podcast. Yes. Yeah. We don't push that enough. Reed also hosts the fear of God, which is uh, how would you describe that? It's uh, the intersection of uh, Christian Christianity and the horror genre. Indeed. And uh, this week, or sorry, the, Last week, by the time this goes up, uh, you talked about Bill Paxton's frailty. Yes. And then before that, you talked about The Raven, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the poem by Edgar Allan Poe, and uh, featured a nice little cameo by a uh, friend of the show, Bill Oberst Jr. So yeah. that was a lot yeah, of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, in the meantime, thank you, everybody, for listening. Reed, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And we'll get you next time. Bye.